Um, I would like to say, first and foremost, how grateful I am for the privilege that it is to speak with y'all this evening. Um, I also want to say that I'm really deeply grateful for the way that y'all have been attentive um, to and willing to learn from um, the women in this ministry, like me and Camelia. Um, that's no small thing, um, and I'm deeply blessed by it. That being said, let's stand for the reading of our gospel. This is a reading according to the Gospel of John. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. All right. Um, we are approaching this text in a few sections this evening. First, we're going to look at how the disciples ask a lot of questions, and then we're going to look at how Jesus does not at all answer those questions in a way that the disciples like. And finally, we're going to look at the answer that Jesus does give, and spoiler, it is the Holy Spirit. 
Um, throughout this passage, and even in the chapters before and after, we see the disciples asking questions. And they ask the kinds of questions that would seem to demand pretty plain, straightforward answers. I'm about to reference a lot of scripture, so uh, just strap in. In John chapter 13, right before this passage, Peter asks Jesus where he is going. In verse 5 of our reading, Thomas also asks Jesus, how can we know the way to where you are going? In verse 8, Philip asks Jesus to show the disciples the Father. In verse 22, Judas asks, how will you show yourself to us and not to the world? Further along in chapter 16, it says that the disciples were talking among themselves about all the stuff that Jesus had just said. And starting in verse 17 of that chapter, it says, So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father, what does he mean by a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. Um, I think I deeply identify with the disciples' consistent confusion because, very famously, I'm slow. And I make that joke a lot. And it's okay to laugh because it's funny. Um, <laughs> even though I make that joke, I am, I'm being very serious. It takes me a minute before I can really grasp a new concept. I think I also identify with this confusion because Christianity is such a confounding thing to me. We really believe that God put on human flesh, entered the womb of a virgin, and lived here on this earth. That is buck wild. From the disciples' conversation, it's apparent that they're definitely paying attention to what Jesus says, even talking about it with one another. And still, with all of their brain cells, they can't put together or fully comprehend what he's saying. And no matter how many times Jesus repeats himself, they still have follow-up questions. And instead of just directly answering them, Jesus responds, Have I been with you so long? and you still do not know me. I find it interesting that the disciples keep asking Jesus about the logistics or semantics of what he's saying when Jesus is primarily concerned with addressing who they know him to be. Again, he says, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? The kind of knowing that Jesus is talking about here is rooted in the Greek word gnosis, which is an experiential kind of knowing. It's not intellectual. It doesn't have anything to do with logical proofs. Instead, this kind of knowledge is dependent on direct contact with the thing being known. It's the same type of knowing that Thomas comes to when he touches the nail-scarred hands and the pierced side of Jesus. We're talking about true and deep understanding here, not concept mastery. When Jesus says, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, it's like he's shifting the disciples' attention away from the acquisition, possession, or control of his own posthumous plan and directing that attention back into himself the one they're supposed to be following. Now, I think it's really easy for us, um, because we have the luxury of viewing the whole canon, to judge the disciples for what looks like a profound level of ignorance and thick-headedness, and that's a word that I Googled as a fun synonym for stupid, and I'm very excited about it. <laughs> um, but let's take a step back and remember where this passage is situated in the greater narrative of John. Prior to the passage we read this evening, Jesus has already spoken about his burial, um, there's already been the triumphal entry from which we get our Palm Sunday celebration. Jesus has also already told an entire crowd of people that he is about to die and prophesied to Judas Iscariot that he will be the one to betray him. We see everything in the narrative swirling up to this point of storytelling intensity. So if we keep this context in mind, it becomes much more obvious to us that the disciples' string of questioning is rooted in panic, not in attention. They are trying to brace themselves from the fear that Jesus will leave them. And I can imagine that it must have felt like the very person they had left their careers and families for was about to abandon them. No wonder they forgot who he was. 
And we, 2,000 years later, are prone to engage in the same kind of behavior. Um, now, this might be a dumb example, but go with me. Um, I have come to be aware of, of myself and how I respond to having vehicular trouble. Um, anytime the Iceman decides to not do what he ought to do, um, I immediately lose my revelation of God as my provider. My brain always goes to, God, why do you hate me? If you would just tell me what I did wrong, I promise I'll fix it. I really thought I was living right, but apparently not. Um, and that is kind of a dumb example, but I bring it up to illustrate that we really are some thick-headed, forgetful people. But thankfully, thank you, Camelia. <laughs> um, but thankfully, Jesus knows that. And he has a contingency plan for our chronic short-term memory loss. That plan is called the Holy Spirit. Before Jesus gets into talking about the Holy Spirit, though, he begins reminding the disciples of who he is, the way, the truth, the life, the only way to the Father, and the one who is found in the Father. Jesus reminds them of all the great wonders they have seen. He also reminds them to keep doing all that he has instructed them. If you love me, he says, you'll keep my commandments. Um, now, I am thinking of a few of you in the room who are we're very big proponents of, you know, we're saved by grace through faith, and we are, that's true. Um, you might be a little skeezed out by, by that claim that Jesus makes. I know when I first read it, instead of seeing, if you love me, keep my commandments, I read, prove that you love me by following rules. Um, and I want to caution us against an interpretation of this verse that paints God as a punitive bully. The actuality of this moral imperative is that he very generously is inviting us into a deeper knowing of him. In verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word or follow my commandments, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. We will come to him and make our home with him. God is obnoxiously attentive to us. And I really struggle to find the right words to explain this, but when we keep his commandments, we are sharing in his active invitation. We are getting caught up in God and inviting him to be caught up in who we are. It is far too simplistic a thing to reduce Christian obedience to the management of the Lord's perception of us. Proximity to and communion with the living God is what is at stake in our obedience to his word. In the statement, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, I also hear a validation of all that the, the I also hear a validation of all that the disciples have been through up to this point. Jesus is not saying, all right, y'all just mess around, have a good time, I'll be back. You know, it's whatever. Instead, by reminding them of his commandments, Jesus is saying, yes, the way that you are living matters and keep living that way. And so for us being Christians, communing with God requires a certain kind of living. Committing to follow the way of Jesus demands the transformation of our affections. This is not just a cute little thing you do because the liturgy is nostalgic for you or because you happen to believe there is a God and Christianity is the most accessible religion for you. If you love Jesus, he gets to have a say in how you use your time, your resources, your attention, your political affiliation, your career and family aspirations, your very life. And all of that is worth giving up because God has come to us and made his home with us. Trust me when I tell you that the love of God is a far better thing to chase after than chasing after the protection of what we think we want. Um, now here comes some more really, really good news. After encouraging the disciples in their way of life, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. 
The helper is the Holy Spirit. Other translations might use words like intercessor, advocate, or comforter. The Greek word used here to reference the Spirit is paraclete. Um, and according to some cursory Googling I did, uh, <laughs> the word consists of the prefix para, meaning beside or next to, and kletos, meaning called or invited. So the Holy Spirit is the one who comes beside us as our aid. The Holy Spirit is the one who invites us up into the knowing of God. And as Psalm 51 says, it teaches us truth and wisdom in the secret heart. The Holy Spirit is the one who will bring to our remembrance all that Jesus has said while we wait for his return. God, in his kindness and mercy, remembers our ignorance and thick-headedness and gives us his Holy Spirit. He does not leave us as orphans, but places within us a spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. From this promise of the Holy Spirit's persistent presence in our life, we ought to derive a lot of comfort. Be encouraged that you are not alone. Jesus has not left us on this earth as orphans, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, he is closer than our very breath. All right, so what do we do with all this? Um, well, first off, you ought to pray that Jesus shows himself to you. Don't be afraid to ask questions like the disciples and learn how to wrestle with and accept the answers you are given, whether or not they are the answers you like. Secondly, remember that God loves you and that being a Christian means something. A few helpful questions to gauge where you are in your understanding of how much ownership God has over your life might be, what have you been afraid of giving over to him? What have you held back for yourself? And what do you think will happen if you submit that thing into the care of God? Thirdly, practice listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and consider how often you find yourself being attentive to him when he speaks. For the second week in a row, y'all are gonna get a shameless plug for Lectio. Um, you need to do it because it's good for you. And it is a specific practice that makes you vulnerable to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I actually wrote a Harvest Post last week talking about um, this long Lectio journey I went on last year where it was only through the word and silence that the Holy Spirit was able to uproot a lot of false ideas I had about who God made me to be. Um, yeah, I don't know. Lectio is just one of the most straightforward ways um, that you can submit yourself to the Holy Spirit. And I would encourage all of you to do it. Um, I want to end by, <laughs> that was so fast. Um, I want to end by remembering the last verse of our reading, which says, But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. It is not only for our own sake that we love God and that he brings us into communion with himself. It's for the sake of the whole world. Jesus walks in obedience to the Father, so that the world may know that he loves the Father. The expression of our love for God and obedience to his commands is our witness to the world of his goodness. It is a sign that God intends to redeem the whole cosmos. When we come to this table, we are coming in obedience to the commands of Jesus, praying that he does whatever he needs to do to make us his body for the sake of the world. We are coming with the expectation that the Holy Spirit, our helper and advocate, will bring to the forefront of our memory the complete story of our salvation. When we come to this table, we are coming to know and adore Jesus. Amen.